Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another podcast of these present days. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our lives being here in the 21st century. We were born for this stuff, according to your word. And we thank you, Lord God, for guiding us every step of the way and and going before us and making a way where it looks like there is no way. And and, uh, not that we need to understand and make sense of the world gone crazy, but we thank you, Lord, that we're comforted in knowing that you're in control. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I got an interesting title because I'm just kind of taking a conglomerate of what is happening in the world today. Um, We know that a lot of the news feed, the information sources that we have, lies and truth and everything in between, are all over the map, you know, because we know that the political parties that are in power want to stay in power and the political parties that aren't in power want to get in power and they have that going back and forth. And I never really thought that much about how much this consumes our society. I mean, just doesn't leave you alone just to go ahead and live your life. It's just got, it's come out from the closet now. It's in, it's in full view. I mean, it's just, it's pushing and shoving its way. Everything from, uh, wow, the Supreme Court leak, I think it was last week, you know, of a unfinished, uh, in, prog- in process document about overturning Roe v. Wade. And like I shared with you last week and but I mean, as business as usual, I mean, like there's, you know, war in in Ukraine with Russia and, and the U.S., you know, is supporting the Ukraine side. And, you know, we've got uh, on, the, on the world stage, we've got a lot of volatile situations shaping up that we're told about. We have fallen as a nation as far as power brokers go. And uh, uh, that's due to a lot of the different policy of this present administration. And um, yeah, I'm not going to mention these things or go back and look at the headlines and read them to you and all this kind of thing. But it keeps you preoccupied. It keeps you distracted. It keeps you um, maybe numb, you know, in a state of acquiescence or almost surrender because you know, you can't keep up. I mean, it's like it's too much to process. And, you know, God's going to have to sort it out. And and yet the gas prices are, you know, $6 and something a gallon for premium. And and uh, they're saying we're running out of stuff, you know, and the babies don't have formula. Uh, but, you know, the country is taking care of illegals as they come across the border. It's setting them up and all this kind of thing while we have, you know, a homeless epidemic going on in the country. And just on and on and on and on and on. And that's why I called it, <laughs> the title is, and you're going to love the title, Sociopathic Rhythms. Sociopathic Rhythms are just refer- referring to, well, we know what a sociopath is, don't we? I hope we do. Let me give you a definition. Sociopath. A person with a sociopathic personality whose behavior is antisocial. That's all you need to know. Anti-society. Often criminal. And who lacks a sense of moral responsibility or social conscience. 
I want to center on that. Sociopaths lack a sense of moral responsibility. They shuffle and shove responsibility and blame to other people. They'll take all the credit for anything good. Or social conscience. In other words, um, the moral compass is broken. We don't have a social conscience anymore. The um, Bible talks about this, that people that would stand up for the truth, they would be mocked in the streets. Um, yeah. Sociopathic rhythms. They first started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And shortly thereafter, the eviction from the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. And when they grew into young adults, um, they had problems. They had problems because they're trying to get approval from their parents and the things that they're doing, such as their sacrifices to God and, and things like this. And the parents are trying to steer them in the right direction and so forth and so on. And, you know, God himself dealing with the two young men had to reject um, the older brothers, uh, Cain, he was born just a couple of minutes, most likely, before Abel. How do we know this? Because the Bible talks about Eve conceiving only once, it says, and she bore Cain, and then she bore her bro his brother Abel. And that's a twin. That's how you describe a twin. And so we have twins in the first was born, it's just like the, you know, the way that it played out in the garden when God created man. The first one uh, part of us as be human beings was the body. The human body, the flesh, was created by the dust of the earth. And then second to that came the Spirit of God going into the body, creating a soul, a personality, a mind, will, and intellect. And so we have that microcosm in these two kids. First one born is of the flesh. You know, he was a farmer. He tilled the ground. And God, you know, even told Adam when they left the Garden of Eden that the ground that you walk on is cursed. But this kid persisted in doing this because, you know, people need vegetables to eat, I, I suppose, he figured. And so he was a tiller of the ground. His brother was a, a tender of animals. And so when it came time to make an offering and sacrifice to God, they... Um, offered what they had, the best of what they had. Well, the best of what Cain had wasn't accepted because Cain should have taken some of his veggies over to his brother Abel and got a swap for maybe a lamb or, you know, a dove at least, you know, a small uh, bird that, you know, God usually reserved for poor people that didn't have enough money to buy a lamb to sacrifice to him. But he didn't either. There was no blood sacrifice. There was no acceptance because blood was, you know, the issue of the time of, of making sacrifices to God because uh, Adam and Eve's blood changed when they sinned against God. Um, it affected them, spirit, soul, and body, you know, because the decision was made, you know, from a mindset of wanting to be like God um, in ignorance knowing you know, uh, that they were created in God's likeness and image, but they didn't own it. They didn't receive it. And so they had a gap, and the devil exploited that gap in their understanding of their relationship with God because they wanted so much to be like God because they love God. 
And you can even make mistakes loving God. And so they did this. And when they, what they did with their body affected their soul. And the blood of the, of the human being uh, affects, is affected by the soul as well. You know, because what you do with your body, I mean, what you do in your mind, the decisions that you make in your mind are going to affect your human physical body. And that's what they did. And so God put it like this, in dying, you're going to die. You become mortal. Now, outside the garden, the two kids are growing up. The one kid gave the offering sacrifice of, you know, probably corn and potatoes and, and some squash and stuff like this. And the best that he had, tomatoes and things. Sounds like a good meal. And then the other one, uh, a blood sacrifice, which was accepted. And so Cain was upset. He's upset with God. He's upset with his brother. God, his brother. God, his brother. And so a lot of times people take things out on your brother or your sister because you're upset with God. And that's what he did. And so he killed his brother. We're going to pick it up right there. We're going to read some scriptures now from Genesis chapter 4. In verse 9. Let's go to verse 8. It said, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, about what God had said. And when they were alone working in the field, Cain attacked Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he lied and said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Keep that in mind. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's innocent blood is crying out to me from the ground for justice. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's shed blood from your hand. And the thing I want to center on is that his rhetorical question, am I my brother's keeper? Or, you know, trying to find a loophole that I'm really not my brother's keeper. You know, who put me in charge of my brother? I mean, you're a twin for God's sake. You know, but this is also a play on, on the symbols involved, like, Cain represents the flesh. Abel represents the spirit. And so there's nothing we can actually do of the flesh and in the flesh and out from the flesh that can please God. Because it's impossible to please God without faith. And faith is a spiritual matter. And so what we find is that if we leave the flesh untended, if we leave the flesh opportunity to smite us, to trip us up, to destroy our relationship with God. Well, it'll do it. It'll probably be sneaky about it. It'll do it when you're not looking. You know, I'm sure that Cain didn't just walk right up to his brother face to face and just beat him to death with his bare hands or took a rock and clubbed him on the head with it. We don't know how he killed his brother, but most likely it was a sneak attack because his brother is a twin just as strong as he is. His brother is trying to, you know, to live and stay alive, and he killed him. And the point being is that if you're not your brother's keeper, you will be your brother's killer. That's deep. If you're not your brother's keeper, you're complicit in what is going on in his life that's killing him or her, if you're talking about a female of the human species. Male and female are only two genders that God recognizes, the only two genders that truly exist. And 
they're together combined called mankind. Because man came first, and so don't think it a strange thing that it's kind of top-heavy on the male's pronouns and stuff like this. It's just the way that it was in the beginning and, and how it all started. I mean, it, the women, the ladies, they have equal place with God as men do. And so, like it or not, we are responsible. We are made responsible. Like it or not, we're interrelated to everybody. We all came from one blood supply. We're all of one blood. No matter the color of your skin or the cross or the tracks that you came from, one side or the other, um, bloods or crypts, uh, other countries involved, other nationalities involved um, that are different than us and live differently than us and think and believe and speak differently than us. Um, there's no us versus them. It's all together. I mean, like you can see this at times when people let down their fleshly guard and they start talking about world peace or eliminating world hunger or the globalization, you know, of the thought process of ending wars and having you know, um, all the people of the earth get along with each other. And of course, that's never going to happen. Yeah, I said it, never going to happen this side of heaven. I mean, it's a noble gesture, and it's a noble effort, but it's never going to happen because it's an inside job. And so all of the plastic bag uh, uh, getting rid of and not putting in the landfill anymore and all of the, the paper products being biodegradable so that they just go back to dust and all this kind of good stuff that we can think of doing to save the planet and all this kind of thing. Ah, noble. That's all I'm going to say. Noble. Thank you. Paper or plastic? Hmm. So, <laughs> whether it's turning a blind eye towards the slaughter of millions of innocents or the willful discrimination towards others of different race or color or economic uh, status or even partisanship in politics. It's all the same, same to God. It's called hate and haters gonna hate. Because you see, whatever love isn't, hate is. And so if we're not getting along, if you don't care about your brother, that's a hate. Well, I don't really hate him. I'm not destructively hating him. I understand that, but it's a shade of hate because we are responsible for each other. That's the reason homelessness is the rage because in our society and capitalistic societies like this, which capitalism is good if people are keepers of their brothers, uh, helpers of their brothers, respectful of their brothers and sisters and mankind. But by and large, they're not, because not everybody has the heart of God on, on the inside of their chest. And so you are competing, and you are upset sometimes that others got the position, got the job, got the, you know, the raise, got whatever, got the guy, got the girl, um, got the better house, the better car. Listen, we don't even have to be that proactive about it. We just be turning a blind eye towards the slaughter of millions of innocents. And I'm not going to go any further than say it like that. Or the willful discrimination towards others. 
because we have a problem with the color of their skin or, their, or their, where they came from or their lack of education or their, the way that they live their lives. You know, we don't like it. We Haters are going to hate. You see, but God going to be the judge. God going to be the judge. In Genesis 4, in the same chapter, Cain and Abel, we pick it up in the next few verses, 12 through 16, from the Amplified Translation once again. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength. It will resist producing good crops for you. You shall be a fugitive and a vagabond roaming aimlessly on the earth and in perpetual exile without a home, a degraded outcast. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me out this day from the face of the land and from your face or presence. I will be hidden and I will be a fugitive and I and an aimless vagabond on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now watch the mercy of God. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, a sevenfold vengeance, that is punishment seven times worse, shall be taken upon him by me. And the Lord set a protective mark or sign on Cain so that no one who found or met him would kill him. So Cain went away from the manifested presence of the Lord and lived in the land of Nod, wandering in, the, in exile east of Eden. Hmm. I used to wonder and ponder about that sign that he put on Cain. I, I'm of the conclusion now, this is mine, this is just my perspective, that it was a, a mark on his forehead because his face, you know, coming face to face with other men, with other humans, it's on his forehead. Another thing, his reason is that, you know, our soul is located wherever our blood flows. Our soul goes. That's where our soul is. So our soul isn't just occupied in our brain, but our soul works through our brain with the three parts of our soul, mind, intellect, and feelings, emotions. Mind, intellect, feelings. So the brain restores things. Brain, you know, cap captures, you know, photographically things. And then we process them and, and we utilize them, the information, the knowledge, the wisdom that we gain, that we gain through life. And so the soul, if you want to put a location for the soul's um, office, if the soul had an office or a control room, it would be the mind and the mind and the thoughts thereof is located inside the brain. And so the emotions come along with the whole package. And so the forehead would symbolize the best possible location of trying to determine where the soul is. Now get a load of this. This is before eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, limb for limb. But it happened anyway. God was just describing what happens when human beings kill each other. They're going to be killed and put to death. Not just as a deterrent for others to not do the same. Of course it works that way as well. But actually when you kill somebody and their soul, which is in their blood, is crying out from the ground unto God, well, you kill part of yourself. Because yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, Cain, you are your twin's keeper. You are related. That blood is the same blood type as your blood. And so I believe that God put a mark on his forehead that indicated that anybody touches him, you're going to get the same thing. And this is a walking dead man. 
is a walking dead man. His soul is dead. It, he killed his soul. A part of his soul died. He can still function. He can still think. He can still add and subtract. He can still hold a job down, a day job, a night job, whatever. But part of him died. You see, we don't get away with anything. Part of him died. He did it to himself. Because Jesus put it like this, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers, you do it to me. Jesus could have gone even further. He said to them, you do it to yourself and me. How's that? Because we are all now located in Jesus. Because Jesus has forgiven everybody's sins, the whole human race, not just the people that go to church and repent and receive his forgiveness and receive his Holy Spirit and become Christians and are saved. They enjoy salvation, but it's the whole world he died for. Read your Bible, people. The whole world he died for. And so this works universally across the board for the whole world. And so what we do to others affects ourselves, and it also offends Jesus if it's a bad thing, pleases Jesus if it's a good thing, if it's a wonderful thing. So, carrying right along, we see this in these scriptures that Cain was, was banished and you know, he said himself something about he was pushed away from the face of God um, because he had a face-to-face -face relationship with God through his parents in the Garden of Eden. Uh, they weren't born yet, but they're brothers and sisters because there's other people that are living in other places uh, after Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden, and they built a little town called Nod. And so he's going over there and he's meeting his relatives over there. They don't know him yet because he was born outside the garden and they all got kicked out. The reason we don't hear them mentioned in the eviction from the garden is because Adam and Eve impacted all of creation, including any offspring. And Adam and Eve were obedient to God when he said, uh, be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth. They were busy. They got busy. But we don't hear anything about them because the key in everything, how it goes in the garden, isn't dependent upon the kids. It's Adam and Eve that God gave the mandate to. They were the keepers thereof. So, God took his own measures to stop this sociopathic virus in mankind because he warned people not to kill other people because this is going to happen to you. By looking at the forehead on Cain, they know that this is going to come down to you. You see that scar on there? You see that, that uh, deformity? You see that ugly mark on him? This is a warning. And so God, in his own way, he took measures to stop this sociopathic virus. Thousands and thousands of years have passed, and yet we are still devolving socially. And this isn't news. This isn't, you know, wow, surprise. It happened one time before. It was called in the days of Noah. The world got so out of order. I mean, worse than Sodom and Gomorrah and all of the perversions that were going on there, where God, you know, just localized a, a, a laser strike, if you would, on that one city or that twin cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. So... We see that in the days of Noah, God was up to his eyeballs, you know, with having enough. And 
what he saw was perversions everywhere. What he saw was the mistreatment of people all the way down to the children everywhere on the earth. And what he saw was out of control. And he only had eight people that actually, eight people out of probably, they say, they estimate at least a couple to five billion, two to five billion, uh, not billion, I meant million, million people that were alive on the earth, spread out as they were. And there's no way of really knowing how many. But God distraught, he had to, to do this. And he warned Noah, he said, I got I to gotta punish, I got to destroy, I got to purge, I got to get rid of the evil, the virus. The virus is showing up again. People are killing each other and they couldn't care less if they have a mark on them or not, or if they are an outcast of society or not. You know, they become more and more evil, more and more, you know, cursed. And so God had to destroy every man, woman, and child, and animal. I mean, he only had room in the ark to take, you know, um, five of each clean animal and only in twos of the unclean animals. But he needed more clean animals because while they're going to be floating for a year, they'll be able to make sacrifices to God and worship him still. And so God destroyed the entire planet. Trees and everything was underwater for a year plus because it took a while for it to recede, a year plus. And how bad does it have to get for God to do that? Well, just think of it like this. Since Noah started over again and had children and acted like an idiot and got drunk one night and somebody did something that was perverse to him because he was naked in his tent laying there drunk and God had his a couple of Noah's sons walk in backwards with a blanket and throw it over their old man, over their father, because it was... Uh, it was a shame to look upon a naked body. And God actually put a curse on one of the sons of Noah's sons. In other words, Noah's grandson. And he put a curse on him because he had done something to Noah. You see, the strain is already there again. And so you go from Noah all the way to Jesus. You got a couple more thousand years, right? You know, maybe 3,500 Maybe it's 1,500 years, you know, from Adam out to Noah, and then another 35 all the way over to Jesus coming. How bad does it have to be to where God would take the beautiful child of his own, his only begotten son, and allow him to be beaten, unrecognizable as a human, suffering the pain of a skull fracture and orbital fractures, and all of those things are micro-fractures and everything. I mean, major bones didn't get broken. He's, the Bible says he keeps all of his bones. None of them are broken. But I'm, I'm sure his, his ribs were fractured because they were kicking him, kicking him in the side, beating him, whipping him, tearing his flesh open wide, exposing his organs and intestines. And then, quivering as his nervous system was in shock, uh, having him hung on a cross, humiliated, naked, hung on a cross, disrespectful. How bad do we have to be? At that point in time, we weren't even born yet. We're looking at it in the past. 
now 2,000 years ago. We're in the season that he's going to return because he gave it another couple of thousand. And so he's going to return. And he's got a cup of iniquity is getting filled up by the minute, you know, that he has allowed mankind in their fallen state, you know, to go ahead and make their choices, choose to, to, to receive Jesus or choose to rebel against God. And so there's been a lot of rebellion against God. And so it's gotten to the place where one time in Scripture, in Matthew 24, where I'm going to quote some things in a little bit, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the return of the Son of Man. He can't tell us the day or the hour he said, no man knows except the Father in heaven, not even the holy angels. But I'll tell you this much, as it was, and so we know that it, as it gets worse and worse and worse, it gets closer and closer and closer, and that's where we are right now. The sociopaths, the sociopaths are in rhythm. The sociopathic societies are in rhythm and in power, and people have lost their God-given mind and sense of decency, because they have no self-respect. Because they're left wallowing in the cesspool of their sins and their depravity. Because they have no hope without Jesus of ever getting a leg up on the things that despise, despises uh, them and provokes them to mistreat their families, their own children, and themselves, and they can't get rid of that virus. You thought the pandemic was something. We got the mandemic. That's something. You see, from elite secret social societies, do you know that these exist? And I'm going to say a bunch of things kind of like in rapid fire because I, this is my personal belief, you know. I call it conspiracy theory all you want. Jesus's Resurrection was a conspiracy theory until it all of a sudden, at the appointed time, was proven to be truth. Uh, some of these things that I'm saying right here most likely are going to come out sooner or later, or things that were worse. I'm just going to skim the surface. You know, from elite secret social societies, you don't think we have those? To the dark web and dark money, we, you don't think we have that going on? Who conspire and work against our freedom and independent capitalistic social structure behind the scenes where nobody can see this. Well, it's coming out now. It's coming out more and more blatant to this current administration even and its agenda to wreck our institutions and economy, taking away our right to choose life the way that we want to live it. You understand that that's what's happening? They're not saving you from no virus. I'm of the belief, this is me personally, that the virus was manufactured, the virus was perpetrated by man to create the pandemic. Is the pandemic real? Yeah. Was the pandemic deadly? Yeah, a lot of people died. And it enlisted the, the, the mass media to create a mass migration of people scared out of their wits by fear-mongering them, by telling them that, you know, this is happening over here. And they exaggerated, of course. They weren't telling truth all the time. Were the numbers 
uh, made out to be higher than they actually were? Yeah, absolutely. You know, was it more deadly than it actually was when they announced it in the news? Absolutely. And is it still going on? Absolutely. And has it scared people? Absolutely. And other people have absolutely turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to that, that fear-mongering that was going on and chose their own path with God. Listen, you can't make this stuff up unless you're trying to write a script from a screen or a screenplay straight from the place pages, places in the Bible and the pages of the Bible that talk about the end times and the days that we're living in right now. You can't make this stuff up on your own. This is science fiction here, or this is religious fiction here, or this is supernatural fiction here, or this is, you know, um, yeah, video game fiction here. This is <laughs> um, a minefield that's created by virtual reality. It doesn't really exist this way, does it? Wow. We can't allow ourselves to become naive. We can't allow ourselves to become out of our God-given good sense of thinking and processing things. Um, we need to base what we believe, what we think upon truth. And we can't find the truth in the hands of mankind anymore, it seems like. Everything's got to be tested and weighed out against the backdrop of God's Word because the only one who, hold, who holds in his hands the absolute truth of all reality is the one who created all reality and everything that exists in it. Yeah, this is reality. This isn't virtual reality. This is our reality. And God is the one who created it. Uh, if God can create reality, man in his fallen condition has the spark of life from his creator, whether he believes in him or not. And when he is an antichrist, uh, when he's an antichrist controlled person, which means he doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't believe in God, he's his own man and her, her own woman and stuff like this, they can be very, very creative and destructively so. Creatively destructive. And so don't think for a minute that they can't create a virus in a laboratory. Don't think for a minute they can't cause a stampede of people because they're trying to control and take away our freedoms and our liberties. Hmm. They're trying to control our way of living. They're trying to take from us our right to live for God. Matthew 24, verses 4 through 7. Jesus answered, at that time, deception will run rampant. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. So beware that you are not fooled, for many will appear on the scene claiming my authority or saying about themselves, I am the anointed one, and they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and revolutions on every side with more rumors of wars to come. Don't panic or give in to your fears. For the breaking apart of the world's systems, listen to that, the breaking apart of the world's systems is destined to happen, but it won't yet be the end. 
It will still be unfolding. Nations will go to war against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. And there will be terrible earthquakes and horrible epidemics and famines in places um, remote as well as greatly, greatly populated. You can expect to be persecuted, even killed, for you will be hated by all the nations because you your love for me. Then many will stop following me and fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another, and many lying prophets will arise, deceiving multitudes and leading them away from the path of truth. There will be such an increase of sin and law. See, like in the days of Noah, there'll be such an increase of the sin of lawlessness, lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. But hold your hope firmly to the end, and you will experience life and deliverance. Yet through it all, the good news of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the world, providing every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God. And after that, the end of this age will come. Mm. And then if you jump ahead down to verse 36 through 39, concerning that day and exact hour, no one knows when it will arrive, not even the angels of, angels of heaven, but the Father knows for it'll be like it was in the days of Noah when the Son of Man appears. Before the flood, people lived their lives eating, drinking, marrying, having children, didn't realize the end was near until Noah entered the ark. And then suddenly the flood came and took them all away in judgment. It will happen the same way when the Son of Man appears. This is why you must stay alert because no one knows the day your Lord will come. That's what it says in verse 42. I, I put that last verse 42 at the punctuation mark. You see, as it was in the days of Noah, I personally know of many Christians that have departed from the faith that they once lived by and are now living in fear. I'm not kidding you. I've known the preachers, you know, wonderful, amazing, wonderful people and preachers that have succumbed to the fear. Um, they are so fearful that now, now, even when it was deemed to be for the sake of others, you know, for the sake of the fearful people that don't know God, you know, that the Christians would mask up, you know, for the sake of them because they don't want them to stumble. They'll all, you know, come in, in unity on that. And that was a noble thing to do for the body of Christ, you know, to put masks on, to go into places. And they made it a mandate, actually. You couldn't get into places and get served without the mask. And so we went along with it. But you didn't let it affect your theology. You still trusted God for your health and your healing. What I'm talking about right now is we're in 2022. Um, nobody's wearing masks anymore. There's no mandates on it, except for just a few pockets where they're hanging on because they don't want to let go of control. There's not a threat right now. But I know of people that won't meet with other people face-to-face. -face. They'll do it online, FaceTime them, stream this, stream that. And what happened? Well, you see, I'm not talking about the salvation faith. I'm talking about the faith of God the faith that comes from God, the God kind of faith to believe God for your divine health that you walk in and you're not afraid of walking into the lion's den or into the, the fiery furnace. You're not afraid. But I know Christians that have departed from the faith, that faith. 
They still believe in God. Plus, you know, big plus sign, plus mask, you know, plus six feet of distance, plus staying in the house all the time, plus, plus, plus. No, it's all minus, minus, minus. Because we've allowed the sociopath to take over the asylum. <laughs> if you want to call the condition of the world an asylum right now, um, you see, there's certain things that I, I believe. I, I believe, and I'm not going to say I know or I have the facts, but I believe because I understand human nature a little bit, and I've heard stories on both sides where there's been whistleblowers that have been silenced and maybe even snuffed out. There's been people that have been behind the scenes that have written, have written, excuse me, have written and wrote books and are writing books of their experience in the things that have happened that we were told another thing and they're coming out with the truth as they see it. I understand it's still going to be considered a conspiracy theory um, until who knows what rubber stamp has to be put to it that says that's the truth finally. But here's some of the things that I believe. I believe that the entire pandemic was contrived, manufactured, and released upon people globally. Number two, I believe that the leftist media flan, fa, um, fanned the flames of fear and panic, and they did. They pushed it. They were shoving it. They were fear-mongering it. Number three, we in fact, numbers one and two, we've got facts now out on those two things. I'll just say that I just believe it, though. Verse three, we believe... Um, well, I don't want to say we believe because of the first two. I'll just put it like this. I believe that it was used for a warm-up to suppressing and eventually removing many human rights. That's what I believe. Number four, I believe there are going to be more and other various kinds of attacks coming because it wasn't successful the way that they wanted it to be so that they're going to try other ways to reach their goal. And what is their goal? I'm glad you asked that. Number five, I believe that their agenda and goal is world domination before the Antichrist comes out front and center. Oh, that's outlandish. World domination, that's outlandish. That's back in the ancient history. Uh, listen, man's heart minus God hasn't changed a bit from the days of Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Hitler, it hasn't changed an iota. And you think it's a strange thing that this wouldn't be done or things like this wouldn't be done? Genocidal things wouldn't be done, you know, to the population and stuff and things like this because of, of, of a hatred of a certain race? You wouldn't, it's still going on, people. We've got to snap out of it and wake up. My goodness. I want to go to the book of First Thessalonians. Paul the Apostle wrote these two books, First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, Thessaloniki is in Greece, right outside of Athens, about 20 miles outside of Athens, where they had the Olympics in 2004. And so I'm looking right now at verse 1 of chapter 4. We're just going to look at some verses in, in both First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort 
in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Talking about what, it's, what transpired in the first three chapters. He's talking about how they need to love each other and they've been doing good and having strong faith and love for one another. For this is the will of God, your, your sanctification, in other words, separation from what's going on in the world, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should, why would he have to say this to Christians? Uh, duh that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we are also as we also forewarned and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that your increase that you increase more and more. Why? Because it's going to get worse and worse. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside of the covenant of God, that you may lack nothing. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or died, lest you sorrow, as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed or go before those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we are alive and remain. What's to say alive and remain? If you're alive, if you're alive you, you, you did remain. Why do you have to say it twice? Ah, let me put it to you another way. Then we who are alive and survive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What's he say survive? Survive what? We're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, people. We're in the midst of a fallen world gone mad. It's on steroids, people. Um, they're rewriting the laws, even as I'm making these podcasts. The laws are being changed, people. They're making it legal for more and more evil people. And so this is how we need to be separate from them. Chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. In other words, they, they were up on these things. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. In other words, you know, you're still alive, but you're just sleepwalking. But let us watch and be sober. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And this time when he says wake or sleep, he's talking about being alive or dying. But he, in other places, was just talking about a backslidden condition. And, and, and he said in verse 9 again, for God did not appoint us for wrath. Remember I told you we're going to go through some things. We're going to see the, the exposition of the Antichrist coming front and center and the abomination that makes for desolation taking place in the temple in Jerusalem is going to cause third world war. And it's going to be localized at first, but it's going to go global. And people have always, you know, wanted to get out of that, you know, kind of like we got to find a way out of the script, you know. So I believe that God's going to rapture the church before the Antichrist ever comes out front and center. And before the, we have to have to face that kind of persecution, a religious persecution that'll kill you for not denouncing God Almighty and bowing down to the Antichrist and taking the mark of the beast. Um, we got to get rid of. We got to get rid of any scriptures that come close to that because you know we we need to show how God's going to pull us out. He's going to He's going to deliver us, you know, from all this stuff. No, no, no. He doesn't. He doesn't say that in the scriptures. It says He delivers us in it. He doesn't deliver us out of it. He's with us, like in the fiery furnace. In it. That's why these stories are in the book. <coughs> That's why these stories, like Daniel, in the in the in 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 the lion's den. Uh, he wasn't threatened with hungry lions from a distance. It's put in the lion's den, and God delivered him in it, and God is delivering us in it. That's why it says, and it's a punctuation mark on all this, for God does not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. And so we're not going to be subjugated to wrath, not God's wrath, not the devil's wrath. <clears throat> it's not going to have any effect upon us. You'll go through the water and you'll go through the fire, but it'll not kindle upon you. That's why these scriptures, as obscure as they may sound to you, that are planted and, and sprinkled all throughout the Bible are for these times right now. They apply right now more than they did in the days of Daniel, more than in the days of Elijah and Elisha. He goes on in verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the fair, the faint, excuse me, the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, praying without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything, not for everything, in everything give thanks. Do not quench the Spirit. In other words, don't, don't throw a wet blanket over the Spirit. You know, don't stop what the Spirit's trying to do. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He's getting him ready for these end times. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you, separate you 
completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who will also do it. Wow. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. I want you to go with me over to 2 Thessalonians. I'm going to give you some more scripture right here because the scriptures say it all. Just, you know, how we are going to face what's going on, what we're going to do about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, if you would, starting in verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be seen shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word or by letter as if it came from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless, actually the word unless is bad translation, should be until the falling away comes first. And the word in the Greek is apostasia. And he's talking about people defecting from the faith. I mentioned that earlier, didn't I? People turning their back on their faith. In other words, listen, listen, listen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. God has spoken to us to us who are Christians, to us who are listening to this broadcast right now. Hopefully you're a Christian. If you're not, please send surrender to Jesus and become one. And so God is speaking to us. And when he speaks to us, that is so powerful, so life-affirming, life-protecting, life-enriching, we can't take that for granted. And so, right from the top again, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be seen shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if it came through or from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. There's that mention of the deceiving again. For the day will not come until the falling away from the faith comes first. And he's talking, the word apostasia can only apply to people that are of the faith and that they walk away or leave the faith. And I'm not talking about one dimension of the word faith because we say, well, you know, the word faith is so liberally used. Like I have faith for healing. I have faith for finances. Or I have faith for salvation. Or we just kind of lump it all together like this is a faith-based organization. We're people of faith in a general sense, of faith this. You can walk away from the faith because, listen, 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 when God speaks to us and it causes our heart to be enriched, you know, with knowledge of him and wisdom, knowledge and wisdom come from his, from his mouth, it brings faith. And that faith, we are now responsible for acting upon it. To whom much is given, much is required. But when we are scared or when we are allowing our faith to be challenged and flipped the other way to where we trust God less and trust what man is telling us more and we depart from the way that we used to walk, used to live, used to believe, used to pray for yourself when you got sick instead of going to the doctor all the time, used to all this, and we depart from that. 
And people are getting broke down because they're disappointed that their prayers might not have been answered in certain cases and certain things, you know, that were out of the realm of, of them understanding the implications and the moving parts behind it, what caused it to break down. It didn't break down in heaven. It broke down down here on the earth. But we, you know, attribute it to God and, and, and our, our God meter, you know, either swings more toward you know, uh, trusting him less or, or the needle more toward trusting him completely. We can't, we can't let that thing fluctuate. We got to stay locked in. We got to stay locked in because the lunacy of living right now and trusting in God right now more than what man is saying, what's going on in the world in all of the things that are threatening and killing, and stealing, and destroying. Well, who do you think you can attribute that to? You know who you can attribute that to. That's Satan himself. That is Satan himself. And so, what I have to have you understand, out of all the takeaway from what is going on in this session today, what I have to have you understand is that God's got the remedy before we even see the fullness of the problem of, how, of, 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 of the evil reaching critical mass. You know, we just have a sociopathically run society going on right now that doesn't um, defend the rights of the innocents, that doesn't allow food supply in the food chain to go to the ones that can't take care of themselves, the children. Or we can go on and on and on. Opens up the borders and wants people to come from everywhere, not vetting anybody and allowing people that are a threat to this nation um, uh, security to come in because you hate this country, you want to overthrow this country, you want to get rid of the way that this country used to be governed and used to be run and used to be ruled over, you know, by the people, of the people, for the people, you want to get rid of that. And that's a sociopathic behavior pattern. You need some help, man. And help is on the way already for us believers to help us through these times. But the people that are responsible for this thing going on, that are perpetrators of it and that are contriving the imaginations of it like it was in the days of, of the building of the Tower of Babel and where God had to break it down because nothing that they imagined to do was impossible to them. So God scrambled them and God's going to scramble them again. So here we get back to verse 2. Not to be seen shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word, or letter, as from us, as though the day, because there was false letters being circulated, false news, fake news being, being circulated back in the day saying that Christ has already come, he's not coming back, this is it. He said, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come until the falling away comes first in the church. The man of sin is revealed, the man of sin being the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And that's going to happen all in six sequence, that the falling away 
of the people of God, of the people of faith. And you've seen in the news, you've probably heard it in the news of, of major churches, you know, like the Hillsong Church is crumbling. You know, fall, people are, are getting disenfranchised, disillusioned, disappointed, discouraged, and they're leaving the church in droves, walking away from it because of what, you know, people have done to, to destroy it from the inside. And the devil, of course, is behind all of that. And other, other churches, you know, things like this, and, and ministers have quit because, you know, leaders above them didn't have the answers when they ran into real-life problems. I've seen it. I know people, I've, like I said before, and just a regular person, just regular people, you know, like right here in, in, in sunny Southern California. You know, I know of people that were in ministry years ago that used to minister and put their hands on people, look them in the face. They won't go in person anymore. You know, and they're wearing a mask, like I said, and all the way in, in, in 2020 or 2022, when that was in a mandate back in 2020, you know, with the shutdown of the economy and all that stuff that they perpetrated upon society in this psychopathic mannerisms. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you that these about these things and... Now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. In other words, the Antichrist is already at work, spiritually speaking, back in Paul's day. How much more is he at work now? I mean, not only spiritually speaking, you know, with an Antichrist spirit permeating in the world today, but also he is in flesh and blood about to come out from the curtain not too long from now. And then it goes on to say, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Some people thought that had to be the Holy Spirit. Nope, because we're still here. The Holy Spirit isn't being taken out of the way. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, it's speaking of the angel Michael, who is the angel appointed over the nation of Israel. And he is to this day. He is guardian of the nation of Israel. And it says, at the time of the end, that Michael is going to stand up. It's a bad translation. You read it yourself. He doesn't stand up. It's translated the wrong way. He steps down. And the context tells you that because that word that they use in the Hebrew language could mean either step up or step back or stand up or stand down. And it has to be determined, the definition has to be determined by the context of the setting. And what he describes in the next verse is that a persecution, a tribulation such as never been seen before on the earth will happen when he does that. Well, it had to be translated wrong because if Michael steps up, he could stop it. But he had to step down because God is behind Israel in their idolatry and their departure of the faith from the acceptance of their son Jesus in the, in the first century all the way to the 21st century denial of Jesus as Messiah has to let it happen to his nation because that nation will be saved in a single day. They're going to have the greatest revival that ever hit the face of the earth after Michael steps back, stands down, and let this happen. And so he's the one that is mentioning right there. And it says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. I'm reading from the middle of verse 6. Or no, 
the beginning of verse 7, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. That's Michael. And then the lawlessness will be revealed. That's, just, that's uh, the Antichrist, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's his glory, and that's his two-edged sword in his mouth speaking. All he has to do is speak. The coming of the lawless one, lawless one the Antichrist again, according, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. In other words, people that don't love the truth. I mean, to love the Bible, you need to love reading the Bible and studying the Bible and listening to the Bible, because it is the truth. That is the truth that's going to keep you through all of this mudslide of deception and lies that's coming down through the sociopathic rhythms of the world all around. Verse 11, And for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In other words, God isn't, isn't playing right now. God isn't messing around right now. Right now, at this time. I mean, he's separating sheep from goats. He's separating saved from unsaved. In verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved in the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Salvation through separation from the world by the Spirit and belief in the truth. In other words, you are a lover of the truth. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle, in other words, my writings. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us today <laughs> to counteract the sociopathic rhythms of the world with the rhythms of life that resonate in your word, that are ingested by your people, that changes them from the inside to the outside by what they heard. Because the days that we live in are evil, as we know that they are appointed as such. But we are here for a purpose, to advance the kingdom through the midst of the violence. And increase the love in every heart much. Because in the midst of all this confusion and all this turmoil and all this display of hate, there's a loving Father waiting right in the darkest of places of despair. Not about to let them 
miss their opportunity and be late. That they're going to be included in the first sweep, in the first wave, those that are lost and desperate, and even those that have fallen back and given up the faith momentarily, that they're going to see that he hasn't given up on them because his love is so great that it demolishes, diffuses, and dissipates the hate. And sets the table for his victory meal in heaven above that none of us are going to be excluded, that we will pass through the doors and not be a moment late. In the meantime, between now and then, What we do is what we are, and what we have is who you are, Heavenly Father. And even when it's outlawed to speak of you and to worship you and to allow your spirit to move in the midst of us, we're not going to be troubled by this we're not going to be threatened at all. We're not going to miss being who we are. We're not going to miss that call. Because if all that we can do is just remember who we are and be that and demonstrate you, that's the solution for all that the devil in his defeat could ever try to do. And it won't work. It'll never work. Because your love for mankind is not just truth. It's coming true. In the name of Jesus, Father. We surrender ourselves unto you. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. Went a little bit long today. I hope um, it hit some notes on the inside that needed to be hit. I hope that it encouraged and uplifted you that we are looking forward to the return of Jesus, even though it seems like it's going to be walking barefoot through a thorn patch. We got to know that we're not going to feel the pain like you think you will because of the joy, the joy that overwhelms and overcomes us and arrests our focus and attention on him. In the name of Jesus, bless you. Until the next time.